It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hi, welcome to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. Once again, I'm Jeff Cranson, Communications Director for the Michigan Department of Transportation, and I'm very pleased today to be talking with Andy Doctoroff, who some of you may know as the point person for the governor's office on the Gordie Howe International Bridge. Andy has uh, been with the project, gosh, what, six years now? Seven. Seven years now. Wow, it's amazing. Um, And we've got some exciting things to celebrate this week uh, related to the project, but mostly I just wanted to talk to Andy about what he's learned along the way and and really what kind of brought you to this. What, What did you have an interest in logistics and infrastructure before you were tapped for this position? Absolutely none. Uh, As a matter of fact, when I first got the job to oversee the building of the bridge or Michigan's participation in that, my wife said to me, uh, you can't fix a leaky faucet and they expect you to build or help build a bridge. So this was not at first a what would be natural fit, uh, but it had a lot of legal dimensions and I am a lawyer. Uh, and it was a new adventure for me. And in retrospect, se- seven years later, it's so despite that emphatic best professional spouse, you civic opportunity I've had. I did, I did, I did enough due diligence to know that maybe it would be a good fit, notwithstanding. Well, then she was able to attend when we did the groundbreaking um, the October before last um, in 2018 on the Michigan side, and we had a big event, and you were. Uh, you were recognized at that event, so that probably showed her that wow, this is a this is a real thing that he's involved in. Oh yeah, she uh, she knew before then that it was a great move for me, you know, because I've been so happy in this job, uh, you know, working to achieve something that really will help folks in Michigan and throughout the region, and you know, doing that and working with committed civil servants on a day to day basis is so rewarding, particularly. Uh, you know, it's, it's given me the opportunity to complement my private legal practice career with, with something very different. So I feel like at the end of the day, when I look back at my career, I'll have been able to say I did a lot of things uh, and invested deeply in, in them. It's the tangible nature of it that really is appealing, isn't it? That, that's part of it. Everyone says, well, you'll be able to look into the future and look backward when you arrive there and see a bridge, a beautiful cable-stayed bridge that is going to be a testament to everyone's efforts. Towering above the rent Yep, uh, above it. But I, I also think part of it has been just the element of teamwork, uh, problem-solving, working with so many different stakeholders, and figuring out if you have a common goal, you know, how do you achieve that goal? And, and working with folks like you, Jeff, and uh, Mohammed and others in both you know, governor's offices, uh, Governor Snyder and Governor Whitmer, we, we put our heads together with the Canadian partners and really overcome a lot of obstacles. And that's been very gratifying. Well, in fact, this week, um, Governor Whitmer is doing her first public event related to the bridge, um, and and she'll be there to observe uh, the what we see is the the incredible connectivity that this bridge offers within the neighborhoods. Kind of separate from the bridge itself, uh, the project that led to the demolition of these bridges on I seventy five that will be rebuilt with modern pedestrian crossings and accommodate cyclists, uh, 
much like the pedestrian bridge in, in Mexican town kind of linked to that community. This is a similar thing with a series of those. Um, and so it's, it's exciting that, uh, that we'll be able to announce that and show off the renderings to what these will look like to the community. So talk a little bit about that, about the quality of life aspects. Um, I mean, even if you don't really feel like you have a hand in international trade, even though we all do in some way that we probably don't even realize, just what it means in that neighborhood. Well, uh, I think you're focusing on some really important things. Uh, first is Governor Whitmer's incredible commitment to this project. Uh, just like Governor Snyder, her, her commitment is uh, very unequivocal. And it's great that she's going to be able to uh, demonstrate that uh, this, this week. Uh, regarding the pedestrian and ve vehicular overpasses, it kind of illustrates to me something that's very important, that not only does this bridge create economic opportunity in the broadest sense, it really is focused on making sure that those directly impacted, those most impacted by the bridge, are going to be among its truest beneficiaries. So there will be a significant upgrade when it comes to the type of uh, overpasses that uh, are going to be available and used by a community in the Delray Southwest Detroit area that is very disadvantaged. And if you take a look at that type of investment uh, in the infrastructure, uh, in job training, and all sorts of things that you know people didn't assume would actually be there at the end of the day that will be there, it makes me feel even better about this project because this is a project that truly has a conscience, that has a social commitment uh, to the people uh, who are in the region. And again, that just makes all of us at least it makes me feel much better about what this project represents. Yeah, there is a true social justice component to, to this um, and, and should be in all infrastructure. But I think what, what's most interesting about what we're celebrating this week is how it ties into, in 2010, Michigan passed a, a, a very comprehensive, progressive, complete streets package of bills. And this goes along with what we call context-sensitive solutions that you can't just think in terms of highway users when you do something. You've got to think about all users and we're really a department of mobility and that means, you know, multi-modes. And so this is an example of, you know, maybe we built freeways 60 years ago and weren't thinking about who was going to cross over them and what they were going to do in communities. And now we've got a chance to reset in some ways and, and, and give that connectivity. Yeah. And so you look at the overpasses, you look at the, which are vehicular and pedestrian, and then you look at the fact that all the streets that we're using that belong to the city of Detroit will be returned as complete streets with biker access uh, and are, are wider. Then you look at the fact that uh, the bridge itself will have a pedestrian um, you know, you know, and, and bicycle access, you're right. It is part of a larger network of connectivity that is going to impact not just the Southwest Detroit community, but regionally all of us. And it is, in that regard, visionary and not just um, a, a bridge connecting two geographic points. If you take a look at uh, some of the, you know, books about Robert Moses, for example, you know, back in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 40s, that type of focus on the community was simply not something that most urban planners thought about. And now it's very important that 
this project does and that we all continue to think in those terms going forward. Now you've given us a reason to cite Citizen Jane in our show notes, so we'll, we'll link to that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's, it's really important. It's, a, it's about thinking differently. And a lot of times, um, I mean, I'll cut a little bit of a break to, to Moses and the other people who were doing things, you know, a half a century ago or more because they just didn't think about things that, that you know, they didn't know then what the needs were going to be or they didn't think that way. And, and now they do and they should, right? So. Yeah, not to get into a Moses discussion, I think that he did far, you know, more good than not. But you're right, back then there was not the awareness of certain issues that we're aware of today that have to be incorporated into our, our thinking and planning. So speaking of thinking and planning, let's hear a little sound from Thursday's event highlighting the design for these pedestrian bridges and what Ellie Savitt, the chief legal counsel for Mayor Duggan, and Senator Chang and Governor Whitmer had to say. Maybe more importantly, this is the next stage in what is going to be a transformative project that will turbocharge the economies on both sides of the Detroit River, that will serve as an international symbol of cooperation and friendship, and that will transform Detroit's skyline. Residents of this community have needed better connectivity across I-75. These greatly improved pedestrian crossings and walkable overpasses being built will help residents going to and from CHAS, the Community Health Services Center south of the freeway, to get quality, accessible health care. Residents who want to walk or bike down to Fort Wayne will be able to use these new and improved crossings as well. These are important quality of life enhancements. This project was started long before I was governor, but it is something that I'm absolutely committed to and very pleased about this being such a great day for the city of Detroit, for uh, the state of Michigan, for the United States, and for Canada. This project's good for the community, our economy, and countless people who are going to use this new pedestrian bridge and bridges to get where they need to go. It is a critical part of our plan to strengthen our transportation infrastructure and supply chain. One of the reasons I'm proud to support the Gordy Howe Bridge is because it's an infrastructure project that really is focused on putting people first. The renderings of the new pedestrian bridges, which will be located at the Solvay, Beard, Waterman, and McKinstry Streets, underscore that the communities most directly impacted by the Gordy Howe International Bridge Project will be among the truest beneficiaries. The community will also benefit from our new state-of-the-art vehicular bridges located at Clark, Livernois, Green, and Springwell Streets. So, as you've shepherded this project and you're in a unique role because you've had, like so many of us, you have to manage laterally. A lot of times you don't have any direct authority. You're dealing with people on the Canadian side and people on the Michigan side, and you're trying to, you know, keep the cats moving in the same direction, and it can be very difficult. What do you say to somebody when you run into you know, an old friend, for instance, and they say, hey, what are you doing now? How do you describe what you're doing? I, I basically use two words, relationships and communication, uh, that I am a firm believer based on my experiences, at least on this project, that if people are committed to a common goal, as we are on this project, then you overcome all the obstacles by building relationships and fostering communications. And most of the time, uh, if, if those two things are present, if people you know, form ties and if they do talk to each other and listen to each other and step into the other person's shoes, 
then there's going to be ultimately a shared understanding of what is feasible and what's not and what's equitable and what's not. And we're going to get past whatever misunderstandings or obstacles there are. So when people ask, you know, what I do in my job, it's, you know, I'm a guy who does facilitate those type of conversations and shared understanding, while at the same time doing everything possible, I think, that is necessary to protect, you know, a real reasonable assessment of Michigan's interests. So that's, that's how I look at my job in retrospect. Now, I do other things like I, I have a role in all the litigation, uh, and I, I work with you on some of the uh, press-related things. But in terms of making and moving the, the needle and continuing to move the needle, that's how I've come to think of my job. So you know, a lot of people still don't know why this is, is so important. They think if they've ever been to Canada, they took the tunnel or they took the Ambassador Bridge, and they think, why, why do we really need this new crossing? Because I, you know, am from West Michigan and know so many people there and so many business leaders in the Chamber of Commerce, and they've been among the, the biggest champions for this project for years because one in seven jobs in West Michigan are, are tied to international trade. But the average citizen wouldn't know that, that, you know, the asparagus grower in Oceana County or the blueberry farmer in Ottawa County or the cherry farmer in Grand Traverse, that they need these relationships with Canada and they need the best way in a, in a world of on-time delivery to get those products there. So talk about the economic imperative behind this whole thing. Sure. The bridge will be at one of the busiest international trade crossings in the world. And the bridge is part of a supply chain that I analogize to arteries that are clogged. And what this bridge is going to do at this central point of commerce is unclog the arteries uh, in our supply chain. It's going to create a seamless border. And, you know, that supply chain is not just one that is limited in uh, geographic scope to the Detroit metropolitan area or Windsor. It's one that reaches hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles in any direction, which is why you would have legislators from states uh, down south actually uh, voicing support for this project because they know that they get their goods and deliver their goods um, across uh, this, uh, the Detroit River. So it's part of a very large economic ecosystem that has to be sustained. And we have to continue to invest in the infrastructure uh, to allow for growth, to make sure that we have redundancy so that we're all economically strengthened and protected. And that goes to the, you know, cherry farmer in Traverse City, and it goes to, uh, you know, the OEMs uh, that have facilities in this region. It goes to all of us who trade, uh, which is most of us. Yeah, exactly. I think you, you said that well, though, and I think uh, analogizing it to clogged arteries when you talk about the, the various stoplights on here on Church uh, Road in, in Windsor and what it means to truck traffic and having this seamless connection. But, you know, you talk about a seamless border, we're always going to have security. That's always going to slow things down. Sure. But we did get some good news, though, recently. Senator Peters announced $15 million to help with the plaza, which is a big deal in terms of, you know, having the, the term state-of-the-art is overused, but it really needs to mm -hmm. be as technologically advanced as possible to x-ray trucks, do everything you can to expedite people getting through customs and getting across the border, right? 
Yeah, and that's a huge uh, contribution. It's consistent with an arrangement that we reached with the federal government a few years ago. But it's great to see that you know no one is doing anything other than honoring that commitment to have the U.S. government contribute the money necessary to actually operate uh, the Customs Plaza, the U.S. Customs Plaza, after it opens. Yeah. So what, what do you think that'll mean in terms of um, what we deal with now in Port Huron with the Blue Water Bridge and uh, long-time sense that the capacity isn't there, that we know from that experience that we're going to make sure that, that the plaza on the U.S. side can accommodate the traffic? It will allow for two things. One, the ability to plan and know that the bridge is obviously going to uh, be there, uh, and it will create this seamlessness that I think I referred to earlier in our conversation, uh, that we're just going to have another point of entry uh, to deal with um, uh, commerce uh, that can be much more tailor-made to the needs of the actual shipping parties and receiving parties. Talk a little bit about the unique uh, partnership and how this this project is different from what the way we usually deliver projects yeah. in Michigan in terms of a P3 and who the who the vendor is or concessionaire uh, that would not only build this but but continue to operate it right. Well, it's a partnership that's multifaceted, and our main partner, of course, is Canada, which is very generously financing uh, the bridge and all construction activity in its entirety, um, and. You know, having that relationship cultivated takes a lot of uh, communication and time to make sure that everyone trusts each other, and we're totally there, and we've been there for some time. So there's that, you know, binational partnership that exists, uh, but the entity that's actually building the thing, as opposed to overseeing uh, the construction is a consortium of companies known as Bridging North America. And they're an international consortium of entities that won, a, I think, a procurement process uh, that lasted three or four years, uh, and they're on the job right now. So that presence of BNA adds yet another dimension to uh, the partnership and makes it all the more imperative for us to continue to communicate, understand, make sure that people know relevant facts and relevant challenges, uh, which again places a premium on uh, the, the type of teamwork that so far I think has been one of the hallmarks of this project. And BNA is Bridging North America, but this is a model that has been used in Canada and other countries, European countries, um, but it's not something that we do in the United States. We do a little bit of it. It's called P3, as you mentioned, public-private partnerships. But the thing I want you know the folks listening to the podcast to know is that you can't just say P3 and know what that means. Every P3 is different because every P3 entails different obligations and risks. And those are negotiated between the government and the private sector. So in the simplest terms, what P3 I believe means is that the private sector is doing more than providing services. They're actually investing and they're actually taking risks, uh, which again is not typically how we uh, build our roads where most of the risks, if not all of the risks, are on the public sector. And the question really is about P3s is whether that is a viable model uh, as infrastructure needs grow, because we've underinvested in infrastructure over the last several decades, and as the availability of dollars, uh, you know, uh, is is not what 
you know, people who do the planning would want them to be. So it's certainly one of the, um, you know, weapons in our arsenal to make sure that we're growing economically and in terms of infrastructure as we need to. Yeah, and it shouldn't be viewed as the silver bullet to solve the infrastructure yeah. crisis, but it is another, I guess, another tool in the toolbox. Yeah. There are places where it's appropriate, like MDOT's doing with I-75 mm -hmm. in Oakland County. Um, but I do think um, as this project proceeds and people learn more about it and hopefully not in that cookie cutter way as you mentioned because every P3 isn't the same but they get comfortable maybe with the broad concepts of a P3 and we can say hey this is something that we can look at in certain instances. You know, why would we not explore an option and see whether it's suitable for a specific situation? Why limit our uh, options when I don't think we can afford to do so given the way uh, our infrastructure has deteriorated in so many ways over such a long period of time. All right. So important announcement this week, um, you know, sort of celebrating a milestone. Actually, demolishing those bridges last month was kind of the milestone and that that was real tangible work, mm -hmm. something you could actually see. But I think from a celebration standpoint, showing people what the new bridges will look like and what they'll offer. But how do you feel about the project overall? You know, we're still looking at 2024. Oh, yeah. Uh, there is no reason to think that we're not going to meet 2024. Everyone's working with those dates, you know, in the front of their minds. Uh, we've got lots of resources being devoted, lots of expertise. Uh, construction is well underway. Uh, a lot of the construction that's going on right now is not really visible to most people because it's being done underground. Uh, BNA is working on the foundations for the piers that will be on each side of the river. Uh, and that's not, uh, you know, something that you can see from, say, the highway. Uh, but the project, while we certainly are always going to have to mitigate risks and overcome challenges, is moving full steam ahead. So I've talked to Mohammed. You mentioned Mohammed earlier, Mohammed Al Garabi, who's the project manager for MDOT and has been involved in this project literally since uh, through three other different names and incarnations and concepts. Uh, but this is kind of an engineering question, but I think you've been studying it enough to know. So talk about the height of those towers and the fact that they'll tower even over the Rensen and, and why that is. Well, we are going into dangerous waters for me because I'm not an engineering guy. My understanding is that uh, because it is a cable stay bridge, uh, that the uh, towers have to be so tall uh, to be able to support the structure without, the without having, as I was about to say, any support in the river. Uh, so, you know, edit this out if this is wrong, but you need the tall towers to have the large expanse uh, uh, in terms of the uh, span itself uh, and support it. It's going to be, you know, the longest uh, cable stay bridge, uh, I believe, uh, in North America. Uh, you need those tall towers to support without anything in the middle. Yeah, the longest water. span, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you answered that pretty well based on my conversations <laughs> with the bridge engineers. Uh, that, that, I, I felt uncomfortable answering that question, but uh, hopefully it's right. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time to do this, Andy, and... Uh, Good luck. Look forward to uh, continuing to work with you on the project. Oh, and it's great working with you. It's great working with all the folks from MDOT. Uh, MDOT is, you know, a, a truly amazing partner with truly committed folks working on this in such a professional way all the time. So it just makes my job that much better. Okay, thanks again for listening to this week's edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. And I want to give a special thanks to Corey Petey, who uh, does the sound engineering for 
the podcast, and to Sarah Martin of MDOT, who does the show's intro and closing. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.